Welcome to ICI's Oceanside Chat, A New Light. This podcast was created to inspire, motivate, and provide insight through industry professionals sharing personal stories, career aspirations, and practical advice. Our guest is Dan Bartel, Chief Procurement Officer at Schneider Electric, a multinational company providing digital automation solutions to empower all to make the most of our energy and resources and bridge progress and sustainability. Time to get your feet wet in the business world and join us down by the water as we have an Oceanside Chat. Season 2, Episode 7, Sustainable Supply Chain. Welcome to Oceanside Chat. I'm Helen Wang, the host and editor of the program. Today marks the beginning of the second half of Season 2, Combating Supply Chain Crises. Please join me to celebrate our incredible speakers and my partners who volunteered their time and energy to share, lead, and inspire others. Please also join me to celebrate our growing community, including each of you who attended the live session and listened to our podcast. I teach both graduate and undergraduate programs at the University of California, San Diego. Now, Imagine you are with me in a classroom of 100 undergraduate students from all over the world and across disciplinary studies for science, technology, engineering, and business. The course name is Innovation to Market. The student's mission is to develop a quarter-long project and applies the entrepreneurial learnings from my class. Last fall, I had 16 project teams and 11 teams chose to work on sustainability-related project, representing 70% of the majority. In particular, four teams worked on green energy, data collection, and analytics of corporate emission. Two teams worked on transportation and traffic-related issues. Two teams worked on food sustainability and reducing food waste. One team envisioned a better way to sort, recycle, and reuse trash. One team aimed at 3D printing technologies to solve the housing crisis. One group had an idea to improve restoration and reforestation due to wildfire and extreme weather. In the middle of the pandemic, I was very impressed and proud of my students. They are intelligent, hardworking, and curious. They are big thinkers, mission-driven, and ready to champion and lead a sustainable future. They are passionate about improving the world we are living in. Last but not least, my students inspired me to think ahead, grow beyond my age, and be a thoughtful leader. With the students and our future generations in the background, I'm thrilled to introduce our guest today, Dan Battelle, Chief Procurement Officer at Schneider Electric a French multinational company providing energy and digital automation solutions for efficiency and sustainability. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Helen. Super, super happy to be here. It's so nice to see friends, colleagues, employees, even suppliers connected to the call today. Welcome, everyone. So I would like to start a conversation from the past. What were your dreams and priorities when you were a college student? Oh, I always wanted to be a CPO, right? Doesn't everyone? <laughs> That's wonderful. 
that's not dream come true now. That's not true at all. No, uh, well, I've always had an interest in business and I like the externally focused um, orientations of procurement. So that's something that caught my interest from a, a very early time in my career. I would say maybe after one year of working, I was jumping out of planning and, and into procurement and I haven't left since. Yeah, I noticed you have a very long successful career in the supply chain domain or procurement domain, whichever we call it. When you were in a college student compared now, what has changed? What remains the same? Oh, wow. Um, I think more has changed than, than what has remained the same. That's for sure. One, one thing that's different is uh, supply chain expertise and supply chain professionals are more in demand today than they have been in my entire career. That's for sure. I mean, you don't have to go too deep into any news website to find stories about supply chain disruptions and challenges companies are facing in their supply chains today. And um, if you're in an industry where you're making a product, probably your, your supply chain is the constraint to growth, right? That's certainly uh, the case in our industry. And as an optimistic American in a French company, I, I like to look at that not as a constraint, but more as an opportunity, right? If we can manage our supply chain, say a little bit better than everyone else, we can actually create an advantage for our company. And I think, you know, over the course of the, the last um, few decades, companies have more and more become aware of that. Um, and it's never been more true than today, that the tremendous amount of value can be unlocked in, in the supply chain. Companies today, many of us are getting more orders than we can serve. So if we can get just a little bit more supply than all of our competitors, we can take market share. That's a real advantage, right? So that's one thing that's really different. And the other thing I, I would point to that's very different today than before, which is the subject of our chat today, is sustainability. This was nowhere in the radar screen in my college days, I can tell you. And it's become more and more at the center of many industries, many businesses, right? And is absolutely an important element, I'd say, of, of your career. If you're a college student connected to the call today, you need to be thinking about this regardless of the industry that you go into because you're going to encounter sustainability topics and it's important to understand how those topics are relating to the business. That's a great insight. Thanks for sharing that. Since 1995, you have worked for many companies and have done amazing things as a supply chain leader. You're now the chief procurement officer at Schneider Electric. If you would pick two positions that shaped who you are, what would this be and why? Well, that's a great question. I'm not going to be able to pick only two, but I'll pick two scenarios, say, if that's okay. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, and, and I think it's um, something that hopefully, especially the younger folks connected can learn from today. Early in your career is when you have the best chance to learn. Early in my career, I worked for a company called Rockwell Automation in different supply chain roles, mostly procurement. And I was there for seven years and I had five different jobs, distinct different jobs, not a small tweak, but totally different jobs during that, that time. And it wasn't a management rotation program. They were changes that I mostly initiated myself because I was hungry to learn more. And I think at the time I, I thought I was being somewhat impatient, right? And I didn't really realize fully the acceleration of, of learning that making those changes had in my career, but it really did. Looking back, I think that was something I would not change. And I highly recommend to most people early in their career to make a lot of changes early on in terms of the role and the content of your job to accelerate your, your learning. That's been really valuable to me. I would say another one that has shaped is, is the position I'm in today, to be honest. I feel like I'm very lucky to be part of a, a company with Gartner top five supply chain for the last couple of years. And 
We plan to be moving up in those rankings. So well-respected supply chain organization that's seen by many, especially our investors, to be one that performs well. And to be part of a company that is really anchored in a really strong purpose, you know, that purpose is really centered on sustainability and, and bridging what we say progress and sustainability for all. I think that's very unique. And I think also maybe some advice as well, when you go out in the world and, and start evaluating positions, you also need to evaluate your boss and evaluate the company. And if you can find a company where you can have a personal connection to the purpose uh, of whatever kind, I think you'll find yourself more satisfied in the work that you do. That's how I find myself today. I think this company has a real purpose. So the leadership is 100% behind it. Even our investors are, are, are behind that purpose. And I find a close personal connection to that because I think the world has real problems that need to be solved. And I'm just happy that I can be a part of helping solve that. We're not going to save the world in Schneider, as we say, but we're going to help. We're going to help. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. What ideas come into your mind when you hear the word sustainability? Wow, that's a very open-ended question. <laughs> I love it. This can go many different directions. For me, there's two aspects, right? There's an environmental aspect that, that is real, right? We will talk a lot about carbon today. And there's other environmental aspects to sustainability. And there's a social aspect as well. And in running supply chains, I'd say we have a very heavy and deep responsibility in both of those aspects of sustainability. So, you know, on the social side, making sure that the labor that goes into the people that are working to create the products that we deliver to our customers, that it's responsibly managed. And, and then on the environmental side, we have a responsibility to reduce carbon and get global warming under control as a society. And to the extent that our supply chains are producing excessive amounts of carbon, which in many manufacturing businesses, um, a vast majority of the carbon that goes into the products that we're making is, is in the upstream supply chain. So this is where procurement comes in. This is my scope on the procurement side. So when I think about sustainability, I'm thinking about those two dimensions and, mm -hmm. and what we as supply chain leaders can do to impact them. Yeah, those are the two dimensions tightly integrated with our professional and personal life. I actually also Googled the definition of sustainability. It was an interesting exercise for me. The most often quoted definition comes from the UN World Commission on Environment and Development. Sustainable development is development that meets the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. I love that. It captures the essence, right? And it's also across multiple generations, all the human beings on the planet. So basically our future is at a stake when we are talking about this. We would love to review the poll question answer for the first one. There's a single choice question. Is sustainability part of your company's objective? We have 87% answered yes, 6% answered no, 6% answered not sure. So Dan, is that aligned with your experience? Yeah, I mean, to me, that's encouraging what, what's on the screen there, nearly 90%. I think the, the deeper question is, we have a lot of objectives in our company. Every company has a lot of objectives, right? But where is it really prioritized? I think that's really critical. So we have in businesses like ours, a limited number of KPIs, if you will, that, that are linked to our compensation. We have investors with different interests, right? All investors want to make money. Some care about sustainability, some don't. So to what extent... Are, are those sustainability objectives prioritized by those that govern the business? I, I think it is a differentiator. I think many companies have sustainability targets, 
but not all of them are linking management compensation to those targets. In Schneider, we do that, and it's a substantial part of the compensation. And also, think about procurement and how we pick suppliers. Do we pick suppliers just based on the costs and the quality and the delivery? Or, or do we pick them based also on their level of sustainability? That's another level of seriousness, I would say, with respect to sustainability targets. So it's good to have the targets. I guess my main point is that we need to make sure that people are incentivized properly to drive the right behaviors to make them real and to prioritize them appropriately. Because mm -hmm. yeah, as far as I'm concerned, it's not either or. It's not either profits or sustainability. We have to find a way to do both. Yeah, to do both is hard. We will talk yeah. more about what are the challenges to help people thinking yeah. about it. I'm sure that people might be curious about your company. So would you give us a brief introduction uh, of Schneider Electric and maybe including the company slogan, which I love it, life is on. What does that really mean? Yes, I won't dwell on this one. You guys can Google it like Helen Googled the definition of sustainability. Brilliant approach. So in Schneider, we have two main businesses. There's um, energy management, which is about 80% of the company and industrial automation. And the kind of the core value proposition of our company is to deliver efficiency for both of those markets. So on energy management, it's mostly about energy efficiency. You can see that's very closely linked to sustainability because you reduce your energy consumption, you reduce your carbon footprint, and you save money. So this is a very compelling value proposition. And it's very similar on the industrial automation side. If you make your factory processes more efficient, you can save on labor costs, you can save on labor content, you can save on energy consumption there as well. And you mentioned the life is on slogan. So what we say in Schneider is that our purpose is to empower all to make the most of our energy and resources to bridge progress and sustainability for all. So this is what we call life is on in Schneider. It's really kind of uh, having our cake and eating it too as a society, right? This is what we want to enable. When you think about electrification um, and, and just the overall kind of footprint of energy in the world, uh, roughly 25 or 30 percent is electric, right? And I think we can all see quite clearly that more of the energy content of, of the world is, is going in the direction of electricity. So with the most obvious being um, electric vehicles, right? It won't be long. There won't be any more industrial combustion uh, engine cars on the road. We're all going to be driving um, EVs, and that's going to require that the energy mix shift substantially towards electricity. In parallel, you've got a transition to sustainable energy happening necessarily. So th those are macro trends, I would say, that are really supporting not just our business and our industry, but enabling the world to make this necessary transition. We consider access to, to energy, access to digital to be really basic human rights in our company. And we want to make sure we're enabling that all, all over the world and helping the world advance on the necessary sustainability targets that are probably best articulated by the United Nations with the SDGs. Schneider Electric was ranked the world's most sustainable company in 2021 by Corporate Knights Global 100 Index. Congratulations. As a chief procurement officer, an important function within the company, what are your responsibilities and what specific contribution have you and your team made towards sustainable supply chains? Yeah. So just big picture, I'm running procurement for, for the company globally. So we have about 15 billion euros. Um, in external spend. And it's my team's responsibility to, to manage that in a responsible way. Uh, and responsible means economic, and it also means from a sustainability perspective. How we see the mission of our function in the company is really three things. And, and we kind of put them all on an even pedestal. One is to enable the growth of the company. And we do that through 
securing good quality and delivery from our suppliers and working with suppliers to incorporate uh, their technology and innovation into our, our offer, into the marketplace, among other things. And then we drive the, the bottom line performance of the business through cost and cash improvements, like the very basics of procurement. We drive cost reduction, no question about it. Not so much in today's inflationary environment, but we have a massive responsibility even in that to, to keep costs under control. And the third piece is that we do those things in a sustainable way, that we uh, move forward substantially on the social and the environmental um, agenda, which for us is, I would say it's very heavy and aggressive and I think quite innovative. In the recent past, we've been very compliance oriented in procurement with respect to our sustainability programs. And what I mean by that is if there's a new law that, that comes out, uh, we're usually the first to comply like conflict minerals or the French duty of vigilance law. And we usually do it really well, but it's historically been reacting to regulations, right? And now we've pivoted dramatically, I would say on that. And we're trying to be much more progressive. Why? Well, uh, it's closely linked to the mission of the company, um, as I've already described. And uh, frankly, it's the right thing to do. So what are the main initiatives we have now? Just to hit on a, a few highlights that we're driving forward. One is the Zero Carbon Project. So the Zero Carbon Project, we're, we're targeting our top 1,000 suppliers, uh, and we're challenging them and working with them to reduce their, their carbon output, scope one and two, um, by 50% over five years, right? So dramatic uh, impact, dramatic effect, I'm sure most of the carbon in our supply chain is in the upstream. So that's where we have to work, right? We've worked for more than a decade on our own factories, really perfecting and minimizing our, our carbon footprint. And now we challenge our suppliers and again, support them to do the same. We have a green materials um, initiative running, which is all about using more recycled materials, metals and plastics mainly um, in, in our products, greener materials, materials with a lower carbon footprint again. And we have a social program called Decent Work, which we're just starting to roll out now, that is hitting 10 key pillars of social responsibility with our suppliers and really setting a world-class standard on things like compensation, uh, safe working environment, uh, diverse working environment. There's 10 topics. I, I don't want to take the time to, to list through all of them, but all of those programs, any one of them by themselves, I, I, we can safely say is very much on the leading edge, right? Putting them all together, we really challenge our suppliers quite a lot to themselves become more progressive. And what we're hoping is that, and we're expecting that many other companies start to latch on to this and start to do uh, a lot of the same kind of uh, activities. I feel like if you're the first one through the wall, you kind of get bloody. We definitely feel that because it's a lot of work and a lot of education with, with our suppliers about why we set those expectations and how we can achieve them together. There's a lot of upfront work to get things moving, but it's so closely linked to the purpose of the company and what we're trying to take forward. And by the way, I feel very lucky because the solutions that Schneider offers to the market can actually help solve some of those problems with our suppliers. Yeah, it's a sales opportunity for us. Uh, that's not the purpose and we're not going to get rich off of that. But having that expertise, knowing how to do it our, ourselves and having it be our business is a big advantage for sure for uh, driving those programs forward. Wow, that's a lot to unpack. Can I ask a few follow-up questions? First of all, the top 1,000 suppliers, how much that spend does 1,000 suppliers represent? That's a really good question. And it seems like I should know the answer. It's interesting, we're not looking so much at spend anymore, we're looking more at impact, right? In this case, we looked at carbon impact. So we looked mm -hmm. at the categories uh, of materials that we're buying and the size of the companies that we're buying them from. Uh, and that's how we made the estimation, basically, of the carbon output of each of those companies. 
So these are the ones that we think are the biggest emitters of carbon in our supply chain. That's how we prioritize. I think ballpark, it's around 60 or 70% of the spend, I'm guessing, but it's not something I, I checked. And I'm not sure it's something I care about because again, it's not about the spend. It's more about how do we maximize the impact on carbon reduction. Yeah, that's very enlightening because as procurement profession or supply chain profession, normally you have this 80-20 rule. You always want yeah. to, you know, capture this 80% of spend and maybe representing 20% of your supplier. That's a traditional approach, right? What you just talked about is a new way to really thinking about when it comes to sustainability, what are the most important, maybe measure the impact. That's where you kind of prioritize. Where do you spend your resources? And then the second question is, out of this 1,000 suppliers, how many percent responded positively? Yeah, very good question. To give you the mix of suppliers, we do most of our business, so probably 70% of those suppliers are what I would call small or medium-sized companies, privately owned, often just one or a few manufacturing locations. They don't know where to begin, but it didn't take a lot of arm twisting to get them to go along on the journey. What we didn't do, we didn't get them to sign up for a 50% reduction from day one because they have no idea what their carbon footprint even is. <laughs> and they have no idea yet, at the beginning anyway, how to reduce it. So there's work to be done. We just ask them to, to commit to go on the journey with us, right? And as we go forward, as we train them and help them um, identify opportunities for reducing carbon, we can get a better idea. They eventually then set a target for themselves of what they'll reduce over that five-year period. And then there's a, a handful of companies that are quite mature that have already done this basically, right? So similar to Schneider, where we've been working on in our own operations to reduce carbon for many years. Those are far and few between, right? There's um, only a handful of those. And then there's a, a smattering of companies that are sort of in between that have started on the journey. Maybe they've made an external commitment to reduce, maybe they haven't, but they're not totally novice. So sort of in between, but a vast majority, 70% are just getting uh, started square one. Yeah. So it's again, First one through the wall, you get bloody. There's a lot of work to be done, but they've committed. And actually, we, we're, we're at the stage, I don't know what the number is, but we're over 1,000 now. You know, we only invited the top 1,000. We got them. Uh, and then a few others raised their hand and said, hey, can I be a part of this too? And we're absolutely welcoming them in. At some point, we'll expand it, but we're focused really on, on trying to get the momentum on that first 1,000 suppliers. Yeah, I think being a pioneer, being a leader of new initiative is always hard and challenging but also rewarding, right? When more suppliers raise their hand and want to be part of it, you must be very, very happy about that. So what is the biggest pushback when you were having that conference with your Southern suppliers? It, it, it depends what phase you're at. Initially, suppliers are worried it's going to cost them money, right? Oh man, Schneider wants me to do something. It's going to cost money. Hey, your price is going to go up. Uh, the reality is most of the time when you reduce carbon, you're reducing your energy consumption and that saves you money, right? Look at the cost of energy today, especially in Europe with recent developments, it's through the roof. So there's a real business case, a vast majority of the time, right? With respect to reducing carbon footprint, uh, but it's not obvious when you're new to it. So there's an education process that has to take place, but I would say that's the most common pushback for sure, by far. So it's interesting. I don't have data to prove it, but I feel like there is maybe a perception out there. If you wanted me to be more sustainable, it's going to cost you more, but yeah. maybe a total cost value exchange that needs to be further looking into. It could be case by case. Yeah. I think it's quite straightforward with carbon. Once you understand, I think it gets trickier. I mentioned decent work. This is the social program we're rolling out now. That's a little trickier, right? 
If you have to pay your employees more suddenly uh, to be compliant, if you need to install a, a fire suppression system that's not there, right? I mean, these are preventative measures. These are things that, that prevent you from getting in trouble down the road. There's no direct return. Those, I think, are a, a harder sell on uh, many companies. Yeah, but we manage our supply chain. We manage our suppliers centrally. So we were able to really you know, maximize our buying power in front of those suppliers. And we have a good story of our company, right? We're operating in an industry that's growing very fast, and we're a leader in that industry. So I think we do a pretty good job of selling ourselves to those suppliers, and we're expecting that they're willing to invest in these things, not just because they're the right thing to do, but also because it's good for business. Yeah. So setting that expectation with so many suppliers, we're hoping and expecting that the entire market turns towards that direction of setting a higher standard for environmental and social topics. Mm -hmm. It's a great time for me to show the result of our second poll question. The biggest challenge is to corporate sustainability targets, and it's a multiple choice. We have the, the cost is about 31%. So that considered very challenging, aligned with your experience then, right? The first pushback. And then followed by 29% in terms of measurement and analytics, the carbon footprint. And then 17% is awareness. 15% are policy standard and regulation, and almost 50% is like all above reasons are challenging. What do you think about this? I would have voted all of the above. I didn't participate <laughs> in the poll, but I would have pushed that button for sure. Yeah. Those are all issues. We talked about cost. Yeah. We talked about awareness, right? With the carbon example, 70% of the suppliers having no idea what to do. Policies, of course, and measurement. Yeah. I mean, there's just no standards for this stuff. Talk about green metals, for example. What's green? There's no generally accepted definition. So we make one that is the best we can do with what we have in front of us. And we put a big asterisk by it and we say, you know what, this is subject to change as this whole topic matures in industry in general, right? Because those standards, they need to come. And one of the big problems we have today, big challenges that we're all approaching our suppliers with our own version of what we think is sustainability and what we expect them to do. It's all a little bit different. We need a higher degree of standardization in industry on those topics. So that's one thing, being one of the first in, in some of these areas, we hope some of the things that we do become more of a generally accepted uh, standard. Yeah. yeah. According to the greenhouse gas protocol, which is a corporate accounting and reporting standards that categorized all the corporate emission into three scopes or three buckets. So Dan, how would you talk with your supplier in terms of scope one, two, three? Like what is a simple way to really understand that? Well, I Googled it so I can answer you. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I'm learning from you every day, Helen. This is fantastic. <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> scope one covers whatever the direct emissions from your own operations, from the things that you directly control. Scope two is the indirect emissions from the electricity that you use, uh, the heating and cooling of your facility, the indirect stuff. And then scope three, is kind of everything else in, in the value chain. So there's two parts of scope three. There's the upstream with your suppliers, which we talk about today, and there's the downstream at, at, at your customers, right? So in Schneider, our mission is to help our customers reduce the downstream. That's the, you know, the solutions we bring to the market are reducing the scope three. And we measure that one in our sustainability targets. So yeah. that's the best way I could characterize one, two, and three with the help of right. Google. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's one question related to this. Out of your 1,000 supplier conference, how many are actually scope three? How many are scope three? Uh, the, the target is the, the scope one and two of those 1,000 suppliers. So I see. 
we would love for them to take that same program and apply it to their suppliers. And in many cases they do, uh, but just how we've defined that target is to be our scope three, if you will, mm-hmm. which is the scope one and two of those companies. It's a bit of a technical answer. That's how I'd react to that. I love it because it is Schneider's scope three, because it's your value chain, which is both upstream and downstream. But when you're talking to your suppliers, they're actually focusing on their scope one and two. It's the kind of thing you have to clean up your own shop first, right? The zero carbon project, this is very progressive and all of that. Yeah, fine. But I would not have want to have launched that project 10 years ago before we had cleaned up our own shop in Schneider, before we had reduce our own uh, direct emissions and and indirect emissions. With that under our belt, it's kind of walking before you run. This is why in Zero Carbon, we focus on one and two first. The day will come where we have to go all the way back up the value chain for further steps in the process. Yeah. In terms of the scope three, put it simply like this, that emission is associated not with the company itself, but with other entities. It interacts with up and down of the value chain. For many businesses, according to statistics, scope three emission account for more than 70% of the company's carbon footprint. So that's huge. If we really go by 80, 20 rule, this is 70% right here for corporate emission. And uh, they're harder to track because it's not within your own business control. And also you have less control how they are addressed. So how do you partner and collaborate with your suppliers when they're working on scope one and two? Like, how do you audit or monitor or yeah. communicate with them? That's a good question. When we were setting this target, right, reduced by 50%, the top 1,000 suppliers, there was a lot of discussion and debate about what exactly we focus on. I think a lot of companies will take whatever product they're buying and ask their suppliers to tell them how much carbon did it take to make that product, right? And that's a question almost nobody can answer today. And also, it's quite narrow in terms of impact. So by saying to our suppliers, just look at all of your scope one and two carbon emissions and take action to cut in half. It's much broader impact. And it's also much easier to measure because you're not narrowing it down to a specific product scope that's just for Schneider. And what we're asking our suppliers to do is to report basically publicly what their emissions are on a regular basis and what their goals are. Uh, If they're declaring it publicly, then we're comfortable enough to say, we're not going to audit you, right? So that's really the, the direction we go and the objective that we have. Many companies are putting this on their external website. That's fine. They use uh, organizations like CDP for carbon reporting. That's fine too. Whatever our suppliers want to do, we're open to. But just a public disclosure is what we're, we're aiming for. It also creates more awareness of the whole situation. Since we're on the public disclosure topic, I would like to share uh, a recent development. On March 21st, 2022, SEC proposed rules to enhance and standardize climate-related disclosure for investors. So if adopted, it would provide investors with consistent, comparable, and decision-useful information for making their investment decisions. And it would provide consistent and clear reporting obligations for issuers. The proposed rule also require registered to disclose information about its direct house gas emission, which is scope one, and indirect emission from purchased electricity and other form of energy, which is scope two. And in addition, it will require to disclose the GHG emission from upstream and downstream activities in its value chain, which is scope three. So from a standard reporting standpoint, it's a matter of timing. 
for all the public company, you got to be prepared. This is the trend. As a leader of business, you would rather proactively learning and understanding and leading this effort versus being very reactive. Yeah, absolutely. Since the SEC very targeted the investor community, I'm wondering from your own personal experience, does investor yeah. care? Yeah, put it this way: there's more and more green money out there being invested today. And what do I mean by green money? Not just American dollars, literally green. I mean. Investment funds looking for a sustainable investment. You have like the Generation Fund founded by Al Gore. I think that was something like 18 years ago now as one of the early adopters. But there's a lot more of this kind of capital being deployed now. And I have my own personal experience with that. To me, it was fascinating and signaled a clear turning point in this whole game. It was a meeting with one of our biggest investors not so long ago, months ago, late last year, where they asked a lot of questions about sustainability with our suppliers. And that was most of the conversation with more than 25 analysts connected, writing down every word that we were saying about our supplier sustainability programs. So when a major investor is acting like that, and I know that is not a one-off situation. I talk to my colleagues who are talking to those investors and, and they hear a lot of the similar things. Now in Schneider, okay, maybe a little unique. We're, we consider ourselves an impact company, right? When we market ourselves towards the investment community, we're marketing our, our sustainability impact and we're targeting those green funds, if you will. But there's more and more of, of that out there today. So this is real. As soon as investors care about this stuff, that changes everything, right? Then, then the question of how do we balance sustainability targets and financial targets, it's natural. As leaders, every day we have to make trade-off decisions. We're here to balance things out. That's really the core of what we do, no matter what you're doing as a leader. And this is just uh, one more complexity, a big one, right? That we need to find the balance. Um, and when investors care about it, again, it's a game changer. And like you said, I mean, when the regulations come, because they will, <laughs> right? I hope it's something better than Dodd-Frank in terms of how it's executed, but it will come. And if you are a step or two ahead, you're going to be in a much better place than if you're reacting to those new laws that come. That come. Yeah, I advise venture capital firm as well. Exactly to what you said. And they're looking for those green projects. And it's important for the investment portfolio in terms of the empowerment for future. That is one perspective in terms of sustainability from government standpoint, from the investors community. I have some statistics to show from business leading standpoint. Of course, Schneider is one of the top. According to the climate pledge, 313 business have committed to climate pledge for net zero carbon by 2040, which including Schneider Electric, Microsoft, Amazon, Mercedes-Benz, Unilever, Best Buy, Verizon, and more than 300 companies already stepped up to lead in this initiative. And also, I thought it was interesting if we look at what the country leaders are doing by end of 2021, out of 135 countries, that pledged a carbon neutrality, there's only 66 put a target year on their policies, like very specific in terms of what they do in terms of policy laws and propositions for net zero tracker. For example, Finland, of course, one of the leaders um, putting the year 2035. And then in Europe, Iceland and Austria looking to reach net zero by 2040. Germany and Sweden pushing the state to 2045. And most countries with climate pledge, including U.S., have put down 2050 as their goal. The latest was China putting 2060. India is behind talking about 2070 as their target. So that's very telling, right, from 
all the perspective we're talking about, the world leader, the regulation side, the government side, the investment community, I feel like it's more of a, a top-down you know, effort in that perspective. But I'm also curious from your experience, what about your customer? What's their reaction? Yeah, customers care more and more about this. We get more and more questions every day about how we are managing sustainability in our supply base. So just like we care, many of our customers care as well. They come to us because we are a sustainable company and they, they expect us to manage that upstream supply chain in a much more sustainable manner, frankly. So it matters. And to the extent that we can do this better than our competitors, again, I think it's a chance to create some kind of advantage over time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can speak for the younger generation, whether being my students or my daughter graduating from college this year, they care about sustainability so much. It's a different generation. It's a huge transformation compared to our generation. They only consume the product and services if the company align with their value system, right? There's so many choices, by the way, out there. You could pick any brand that you might want it to support. To add to that, I would say like in yeah, consumer industries, it's more obvious for the reasons yeah. that, that you point out. We have, we have some segments of our business that are consumer oriented, right? We have a line of wiring accessories like switch plates and sockets, for example the Nordic market that, that are made using sustainable recycled ocean plastics, actually. And uh, that's much more expensive than using virgin material for sure. But there's a segment of the market that's willing to pay for that, right? In the industrial world, it's a bit of a different story today. It's not so obvious, right? Um, so if you do something related to sustainability and it increases the cost, customers aren't always willing to pay for that. So Again, coming back to the balance uh, that we have to strike as leaders in a business uh, that prioritizes both sustainability and profitability, we have to find the, the, the reasonable compromise. We're a technology company, so we work really hard to innovate in a cost-effective manner, hopefully creating productivity. If not, hopefully not creating too much deproductivity, if you will. But at the end of the day, we have to make some hard decisions. We have sustainability targets. We have financial targets. They often uh, say from time to time conflict. And then we have to make hard decisions, right? In some cases, we do increase our costs in order to contribute towards sustainability. And that's exactly what our leaders want us to do. And now what our investors want us to do as well. They're, they're speaking quite clearly. Mm-hmm. What about employee or talent recruitment? Uh, with your company's recognition, does that help you to hire and retain people? I like to think it does. I'm, I'm pretty sure it does, actually. I mean, it's one of the things that attracted me to this company. So I'm a living example of that. Yeah, it's one of the things that help us keep engagement levels up, uh, I would say. You talk about y- the younger generation caring more about sustainability topics. We see that in the workforce, for sure. So we market ourselves as an employer. We leverage what we are, right? Again, we're an impact company. So we advertise ourselves as that with potential new recruits. And I, I know it's one of the reasons that uh, a lot of people stay in Schneider for the long run. Mm-hmm. Again, it comes back to my career advice. If you can link your personal values to the values of the company, uh, that creates a bond and it creates a level of engagement and job satisfaction that's at a new level if you don't have that kind of uh, connection. Mm-hmm. So as a tradition of our program, I hope to build an intellectual bridge between the current and future generations. Einstein said, any intelligent fool can make things bigger and more complex. It takes a touch of genius and a lot of courage to move in the opposite direction. So Dan, how would you paint a picture for sustainable supply chain by giving it a new perspective? Okay, so now you're quoting Einstein and asking me to react. I can't top that, (laughs) but I'll try. 
Now, look, I think analogies are very helpful, as you said in the past. Um, and, and for me, the most simple way to look at it, again, is a social aspect and there's an environmental aspect. And think of those as two balloons that uh, are continuously inflating right in front of us. Every time a worker is underpaid or treated poorly or put in an unsafe condition, the social balloon is getting bigger. For every ton of carbon emitted into the atmosphere, that environmental balloon is getting bigger. We, we have to stop inflating those balloons. We have to even let some of the air out. And if we don't, if we continue on the road that we're on now, those balloons are going to just blow up in our face at, at some point. And I think when companies, when industries, when investors realize that, which many of them have, but so far more haven't yet, they start to take action, right? And for me, it's a simple way of describing why it's important that we all act now. Yeah, uh, this is brilliant. I love this analogy and very consistent with how you begin this conversation. There's two dimensions. So there's two balloons. Love it. I also have an analogy to share with you. So now imagine the planet as a human body. Will you keep feeding it junk food without considering the detrimental consequences? To give you an analogy for different categories of corporate emissions, scope one is equivalent to the type of food you cook at home. Scope two refers to the energy sources used for home cooking. Each household essentially manages the first two scopes. In contrast, scope three covers the end-to-end -end value chain, producing the majority of the food outside of your home, making quality control much harder. Likewise, the chief supply chain officers and the chief procurement officers are responsible for the ecosystem that create 70% of corporate emissions. Therefore, we must take urgent action to rebuild the sustainable supply chains to keep our earth safe and healthy before it's too late. Brilliant. I love it. Dan, we appreciate your leadership in redefining sustainable supply chain and your passion and partnership exploring different perspectives on this urgent topic. What is the final thought or one thing you like our audience to remember? I think for me, just remember to do something about this. I, I want everyone to take an action now, right? And, and we have a very wide variety of people connected today. So that means something different for everyone. But, but for me, there's an imperative to move, an imperative to act. And the clock is ticking. The clock is ticking really, really fast, actually. So I just ask that all of you do something. <laughs> if you're in a position of power, hopefully something substantial. If you're early career or a university student, take it forward in your career to do something on that topic and to start to contribute towards deflating those two balloons, as I described. That's great. And I'd like to show the poll question, the last one that we have. Who is responsible for corporate sustainability within your company? The answer is uh, multiple choice and very encouraging. More than 70% think it's everybody. And then 21% thinking it's chief supply chain officer and chief procurement officer, 18% thinking it's CEO and the other 18% thinking it's COO, CFO represent about 5%. So Dan, what about in your company, right? Does that sort of align with what the audience are thinking? Yeah, it's clearly everyone in Schneider. Coming back to the investor point, it's not just some targets that we report on our annual sustainability report. We call it 11 plus one. The plus one target is each country president sets their own specific target for their specific situation. But essentially there's 12 targets, 11 of them that we report on every quarter. That reporting is audited, just like our financial statements are, are audited. They're audited by Ernst & Young, but it could be any of the big firms. We actually reveal in the even quarter, odd quarters, Q1, Q3, we only report on the financial side our, our sales. And then we do full financials uh, mid-year and end of year. 
But for sustainability, we, we actually reveal more information every quarter on the performance because that's what our investors are expecting. And we are all compensated based on the financial performance of the business and the sustainability performance. So it really is everyone contributing to those topics. We all have a hand to play. We all have goals uh, linked to sustainability that are linked to how we're paid. And like I said before, linked to the core value proposition of the company. And it's one of the things that keeps many of us really engaged in driving the business. Yeah, it sounds like what your company is doing, setting a gold standard, is it's a very integrated, systematic approach when it comes yep, to this topic. Absolutely. Yeah, that's wonderful. And it's not just something we decide to do overnight, right? That's the other thing. It's, you know, this has been a journey long in the making, more than 15 years. Our CEO decided that this is what we're going to be about. So it's embedded in the DNA of the company and in the DNA of many of, of us employees as well. That's awesome. I want our audience to remember that our future is at stake when it comes to sustainability. So it is everybody's responsibility. And the supply chain professionals have imperative roles in leading and making a significant impact. So thank you, Dan. I hope you enjoyed our chat. I hope our conversation today lead to many more discussions about sustainable supply chain within the value supply chain system, in the corporate boardroom, during the shareholder meetings and beyond. So thank you everyone for attending our live webinar and listening to our podcast. Please share it with your network if you like our program. We look forward to seeing you again in the next episode. Thank you. Thank you, Helen. Thanks everyone. Thanks for listening to Oceanside Chat. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you liked it, please share this podcast and stay tuned for our next episode. We'll see you later.